I'm always getting asked, what should I do with my engagement ring? Well, I finally have the answer. Sell it with Worthy. I'm partnering with Worthy so you can turn your wedding jewelry into cash, fast and risk-free. Worthy is great because their competitive auctions ensure you get the best deal possible. Over 45,000 people have already moved on by selling with Worthy. If you're ready to move on from your ring, visit worthy.com moms to get an extra $100 when your jewelry sells for over $1,500. That's worthy.com moms when you're ready to move on. As a strong, independent mother, there is nothing that will get in the way of your child's safety. Soberlink understands the importance of peace of mind when it comes to co-parenting after a divorce. Using the highest quality technology and with features like facial recognition and real-time results, moms like you are empowered with proof that your child is safe. Navigating life post-divorce can be difficult and having a tool like Soberlink allows for one less thing to stress about. I created this community to provide support for divorced moms like me, which is why I partnered with Soberlink to create the resource, Five Ways to Reduce Litigation in Custody Cases. To access the guide and get $50 off your Soberlink device, visit www.soberlink.com forward slash MMO. This week on Moms Moving On, When push comes to shove and I need to choose between making someone else happy and making me happy, I'm going to choose me. And I I think that's, that's what a lot of your listeners probably find themselves in that place. You know, divorce is one of those ultimatums. Life moves on. So why shouldn't we? This is Michelle Dempsey-Moltak, your host of Moms Moving On, navigating divorce, co-parenting, single motherhood, and moving on. Welcome back to another Moms Moving On. I'm so happy you're here because we have an important topic to talk about today. And that's being your own biggest cheerleader after divorce, which can be really hard to do when you're probably feeling less than fantastic after your split. But that's okay because we have Amy Green Smith with us and she's a bit of a sassy pants, which I love. She's a certified (laughs) and credentialed life coach and hypnotherapist, masterful speaker and courageous communication expert. She's also the host of the Bold Faced Truth podcast. And if you have listened to the podcasts of some of our former guests like Britt Frank or Kate Anthony, then you've probably heard her on there already. But Mm -hmm. I'm very excited to welcome you here, Amy. Thank you so much for being with us today. Of course, of course. I'm excited to connect. It's always nice to to meet new internet friends, right? (laughs) Always the best. Some of my internet friends over the last few years have become my real life, like in-person friends that are incredible and I couldn't live without. So, you know, making a connection here today. Yeah. So tell us, tell us, you know, your backstory, like your whole thing, how you got to this place. Oh, wow. So my story is uh, very similar to many of us in this space where the things that we've experienced, we then end up learning from and then teaching and sharing with others, right? So uh, for a bit of context, I grew up in a very conservative, born-again Christian family. My father had a master's in divinity and a doctorate in ministry, so he wasn't fucking around. And uh, we 
I grew up with uh, my two younger siblings. And for for all intents and purposes, I was kind of like the good kid, right? So both of my younger siblings had trouble with the law and did jail time. I started working when I was like 14, put myself through college, got married young, moved out of the house. And so that comes into play a little bit later. So in, in 07, things kind of came to a crescendo for me with the passing of my father. And so I, for the service, I did his makeup for the viewing. So I did dead dad makeup. Uh, I also spoke to... not funny, but the way you put it, I mean, (laughs) and also I I lost my dad, my stepdad in 07 also. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a very... uh, tumultuous time to say the very least. And I also felt very convicted that I wanted to speak at the service. So here I am feeling like I'm totally winning at daughter and, you know, doing dead dad makeup, speaking to crowds of hundreds, even though I didn't necessarily subscribe to the faith that I was raised in. And up until that point, I had always kind of prefaced with my husband, I would say whenever we would visit my parents, I would say, okay, no cussing, no liberal agenda, no Howard Stern, no South Park, no cut, you know, no drinking, no, like all that, like, let's put up a facade. And so it was sort of this uh, twisting and contorting to just not really say what was true for me mm-hmm. and uh, that I really no longer subscribe to the faith traditions I was raised with. So we get back home to my mom's house right? And I'm feeling like, okay, once again, I'm winning as the sibling, the best sibling in the family. <laughs> and it's a lot of, pre- you know what? It's a nice title, but it comes with so much pressure. It's a lot of pressure. Uh, there's a lot of arrogance <laughs> and ego, and then also blame of others. And I still am working through that a bit. But we get back home and my mom, my mom finds it the most opportune time to say it feels as though we have failed as parents because all three of you kind of lumping me in with my brothers, all three of you are not, quote, walking with the Lord. And I'm like, <laughs> I just did makeup on my dad's corpse. So right. uh, like, wow. And really, the only thing I could kind of muster in that moment was I said, I really don't think you should say that to a child. And my mom said, well, that's just how I feel. And I realized in that moment that speaking up for yourself and establishing boundaries and having that belief in self, it it does not always come down to an ultimatum. But when push comes to shove and I need to choose between making someone else happy and making me happy, I'm going to choose me. And I I think that's, that's what a lot of your listeners probably find themselves in that place. You know, divorce is one of those ultimatums. Yes. But until they get to the mindset of, oh, I can make me happy first before anybody else. It's, it's a very like, uh, time it's a time that feels like suffocation because you're like, you know, you, you've been raised one way, be nice, please others, serve the Lord, do this, do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. And then you go and do those things that are supposedly like not the right things to do. And it adds shame and an all another layer of like, I don't know if you're all real already feeling bad about yourself because of the divorce, it it adds another layer. Well, I think we also can't step over the fact that societally and culturally, we shit on women who are single. 
And there are a lot of options for men. I mean, even if you think about how we delineate if somebody is single and available as a woman, like we need some sort of moniker. We need to know if you're a miss or a missus, right? Mr. No, it doesn't matter because you're always, yeah. you're always a commodity. So, I, you know, we have, we have to contend with that too. Yeah. It's so true. Like I remember not shortly after being separated, having to go to the podiatrist or something for my foot and had to fill out a thing. And it asked about my marital status. And I'm like, but why? Like I have my insurance. Like why, why do I have to check the divorce box at the podiatrist? Please explain that to me. It was ridiculous. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. Uh and it does it it just doesn't matter. So we we look at like even how we speak about women older. I mean, and this this is even outside of just marital situation, but a woman who is single who is older is a spinster, an old hag, you know, she's not a debonair bachelor, right? Like we have all these names for for women who are single and older versus versus men they get to you know be these silver foxes and stuff so yeah anyway we could go on and on about that but i think that that that's an important implication to recognize that like this isn't just you in your nuclear situation going through this divorce there are a lot of systemic issues at play that are contributing to how you feel about yourself right um, right and so yeah. this 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 leads into the perfect this is the perfect segue to how do you silence that inner critic like i'm sure for you as as empowered and confident as you are when you heard that from your family there had to be voices in your head that are like i'm not good enough i'm not this i'm not that and for a divorcing woman, it's whatever your ex told you in your most heated and ugly times, amplified times a million, layered with the shame of the stigma of divorce. Yeah. So I think one of the things that's the most important elements to unpack regarding our inner critic is the concept of emotional intelligence. So when you go through something that's so grief-stricken like divorce, it is inevitable that you're going to have an onslaught of uncomfortable emotions, right? Shame, guilt, overwhelm, loneliness, et cetera. And when we feel something specific, we naturally want to conclude. So the brain we know does not like open-ended things. We like to complete the circle. We like to have a nice finish to the story. So if I'm feeling shame for speaking up with my family, my brain, my inner critic will naturally want to say, that must mean fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. And then that becomes your new truth until you start to unpack it and challenge it. So that's the case for all inner critic chatter. It is just true in your own mind, unless you call bullshit and decide to craft something else or to recognize that, you know, this is what, what I like to say is like, this situation is fucked up, but I'm not a fuck up or this situation sucks, but I don't suck. So allowing yourself to feel lonely and not conclude that that means that, that you're damaged goods or you're not valuable or you're, you don't matter. I love that. Two things can be true. It can be a shitty situation, but you might not be a shit, right? Like, yes, that's, I love that. Okay. So we come out of divorce and we're supposed to like do all of these things, be a single parent, learn how to co-parent, 
have a smile on our faces and show everyone how strong we are because God forbid we admit that this is hard, then they'll tell us, then why'd you get separated? But we're not necessarily feeling our best. I know for me personally, I felt uh, like maybe I was damaged goods. I felt out of shape. I felt not attractive. I felt like I had baggage. Who's going to want me? I, I My inner critic was like on full blast. So what are the steps we need yeah. to take to tell that inner critic to take a back seat so that all the best of you can shine? Yeah. So one of my favorite tools that I use all the time is a way to kind of unpack what that inner critic narrative is coming up with. And most of the time, it's something we're making up, like what you just said, I'm damaged goods, no, who's going to want me, you know, whatever it is. And sometimes your inner critic is the echo of other people in your life, like your ex, or sometimes Mm -hmm. our parents, or people who want to intervene and tell us how to do it right, you know, how to do divorce right or not. So, uh, This is a tool that I put together called Find My Truth, and it's an acronym. So it's an FMT, Find Mm. My Truth. And each of those acronym or each of those letters uh, stand for a question to ask yourself. So the F stands for what are the facts? What are the facts of the situation? If I were to take the emotion out of this, what happened? My my ex-husband or my ex-wife said this thing to me right? That's the facts of the situation. Or mom said this thing to me or my friends or whatever. Then you go to the M. What am I making up? What have I, what have I now concluded because of that scenario? Amy, I make up so many stories in my head. This is going to be great for me. Okay, good. (laughs) And then the T stands for truth. What is the truth? Now, this is oftentimes going to get divided into what is their truth and what is my truth? So it could be that my ex, my ex's truth is you are so controlling. That is going, I'm going to allow that to be hers or I'm going to allow that to be his. My truth, and then this is where you want to define what it is you want to attach to. Because let's be honest, telling yourself that you're disgusting or that you're damaged or is not fucking working. It's not helping right? So let's come up with a new truth. The truth is I'm going through something really hard and it's difficult to untangle uncomfortable emotions with how I feel about myself. So one of my favorite, favorite things to do when you're defining your truth is to not feel like you have to be shit and glitter and making all these positive affirmations, but say something empowering. Not It doesn't have to be positive. It can be, but let's make it empowering. So you're allowed to feel what you feel. The truth is you're in the middle of a grief storm. The truth is you're desiring comfort. The truth is you need support right now. The truth is you need to move your body. You know, your body is calling for some physical movement, right? Like let's untangle what what big jump did we make from the facts of the scenario to this catastrophic decision about who we are? Because that's usually what it is. It's usually an isolated incident. Yeah. And then we make up something massive about all of the person that we are like forever and always, which is not congruent. So the idea of like, if this person doesn't love me in this situation for this amount of years of my life, that must mean I'm unlovable forever and ever. Amen. No, that means that's his truth or her Mm -hmm. truth. My truth is I'm lovable as fuck. 
Right. Right. You know, with or without that love from them. And and this and this also kind of goes back to so I'm a big believer in therapy, especially when you are coming out of a marriage, even if you don't think you did anything wrong or didn't, you know, play the role that led to the demise of the marriage. You still have stuff to unpack and stuff to uncover, which will show you maybe why you feel damaged. It may have nothing to do with the person you're no longer in the marriage with, but everything to do with how you were raised, how you were taught to behave. And that that untangling for me completely changed how I saw myself and completely changed how I saw my role as a mother, as a daughter, as a partner, as an everything, because I was so like gaslit my whole life. Right. Well, the thing that I think we need to give ourselves some massive dose of compassion around is the fact that all of the behaviors that we exhibit, whether it's people-pleasing, perfectionism, control, all of those things we adopt as behavioral defense mechanisms. Nobody does, nobody says, I'm going to become a people pleaser and self-sacrifice and give everything to everyone else for the fuck of it. We do it because we have learned usually in our youth that placating, acquiescing, taking care of everybody else allows us to stay, stay safe or get our needs met in some way. And then we duplicate that in our friendships and in our intimate partnerships until we get to a point where we go, oh, shit, this isn't keeping me safe anymore. This is actually hindering my growth. You just surmised my entire life. Thank you. Until about three years ago when I really started to shift, but it's so true. It all goes back to something else. And, and that therapy, like a lot of people will come for me on social media when I'm like, self-awareness is key. Look at the role you played in that marriage. Well, he abused me. So I didn't, I didn't play a role. Well, if you do the work and you go to therapy, you'll see why you ended up with somebody like this person or why you made excuses for this person or X, Y, and Z. It happens to the best of us, but it's all rooted back to something. And I think like I posted something the other day that I wish I could show you right now. It was like, live your life to make your your five-year-old self proud and your future self proud, right? Like everything yes. they told you as a five-year-old is what's coming to the surface now. Prove that person wrong, prove it wrong and make that five-year-old proud. And like, that's that's what this brings up for me. It's so, it's also good. Well, the thing that you were mentioning about you know, people coming for you and saying they, they abuse me and, and okay, yes. We, I think we can all collectively agree that abuse is unacceptable and that no one is responsible for that abuse other than the actual abuser. But if you want to find out why you were attracted to that dynamic to begin with so that you don't create those same patterns going forward, that's going to take you stepping outside of blame and looking at what do I need to heal so that I only engage with relationships, friendships, jobs, et cetera, that are are powerful for me or that are healthy for me. That's not, that has nothing to do with your ex. That is 100% about I'm creating the life that I want to create. And it takes, um, it takes radical personal responsibility. But here's what I will say, and it, this is something that I see constantly, is our quickness and our willingness to define people as toxic or to pathologize them and say like they're for sure a narcissist or oh, they're a sociopath Amy, or they're this. Do you, I don't know if you follow me, but like <laughs> I am at the end of my rope with all of this. Yes. Like 
not everybody who disagrees with you is toxic and not every asshole is a narcissist. Like I've had it. I'm at the end of my rope, truly. So I'm glad you're saying this. (laughs) It's well, I oftentimes go, okay, are they toxic or have you not used your words appropriately? Have you not had boundaries? Because I don't deal as much with divorce as I do with like friendships or work relationships where if you are chronically complaining about something or someone without giving voice to it to that actual person, that's on you. They might have no fucking clue that what they're doing is upsetting to you. So you don't get to label them toxic as a scapegoat to not do the fucking work. Right. Well, we label other people to avoid doing the work. I think the more you focus on somebody else's bad behavior, the less you're willing to own yours. And that, and I see that time and time again. And I, I, I'm, I have to shout out um, one of the coaches on my team because she's so amazing, but she started as, as a client in a group session three years ago. My ex is a narcissist. My lawyer said he's a narcissist. He's impossible. I can't co-parent with him. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to challenge you home girl. We're going to take a step outside of this mindset for a second. And now three years later, she's co-parenting beautifully. Turns out he's just a dick and they didn't see eye to eye. And they're co-parenting their daughter so well. And she's like, you know, if you didn't challenge me to look outside the label, even if the label were true, it was about how I showed up, how I like found the strength within myself to not let his behaviors control me. And that made all the difference. So that is so important. I love that you brought that up. Well, and what we don't realize when we are standing in that anger, and here's another example of emotional intelligence. You are allowed to be furious at them. You are allowed to be pissed at their actions or what they've done or vehemently disagree. Uh, And if you stand in that place of constant blame, you are rendering yourself a perpetual victim. Because mm. what you are essentially saying is I have zero responsibility here. And the only way in which I can be happy is if you magically change. <laughs> Everything is your fault. And what does that do? That makes you a victim for fucking life. And I think a majority of us would rather be survivors. So here is one of the most magical words that you can use when you're talking about your ex is the word and. They did this specific behavior that I find egregious and infuriating. And I have some great dad. And and he's a great dad. Or, (laughs) and I have some shit from my childhood that I have to unpack around blame or around being a good girl or around being whatever it happened. It's, It's and it's allowing all of those things to coexist. And let's not be myopic about, about one person being only one thing. That there, we like that idea of labels like, okay, my ex is all bad all the time with every situation instead of going, actually, they can be compassionate in these situations, Mm -hmm. or actually, they're really generous in these situations. Instead of us doing this, you are enveloped by one singular label. We wouldn't want that for ourselves either. So it's all these ands, it's that was a damaging thing for them to have said or done. And they're really generous with their in-laws or with my, or their parents or their children or whatever. So being able to have a holding multiple things at the same time. 
They're calling it the Bible for all divorcing moms. I can't believe it, but that's what they've said about my book, Moms Moving On, Real Life Advice on Conquering Divorce, Co-Parenting Through Conflict, and Becoming Your Best Self. Moms Moving On is filled with practical, actionable, and empowering advice from someone who's been through it and come out on the other side, me. Through inspirational stories, rituals, journal prompts, and my guidance, you'll learn how to navigate your divorce with confidence, adjust to life as a single mom, shift your perspective to find your way back to your best self, and create the life you truly deserve. It's available in paperback, hardcover, audiobook, and Kindle. So go get my book. I promise you won't regret it. I love this. I mean, I we may have digressed a little from the main topic, yeah. but like I we're so on the same page with this and I'm fine with it, but taking it back to, you know, being your own biggest cheerleader and yeah, letting all the criticism you believe for so long take a back seat. I'm feeling like from this conversation we're on the same page. We both agree it all leads back to that self-awareness. So, yes. what should a divorcing woman do? Step 1 to gain that access into her innermost self and her self-awareness so that she can move forward in an empowered way? Mm, Okay. This is a great question. I think probably one of the basic first steps that you can do is to take an inventory on when you are speaking the most negatively to yourself and what you are saying. So it's when is sort of the trigger. Like, is it every time I'm dealing with lawyers? Is it every time I sit down to write, um, you know, an email to the mediator? Is it every time I'm in the school pickup line and I see other families that are, you know, happily, they look like they're on Pinterest or whatever. What are the actual triggers? Or is it the mirror? You know, when I am, when I see myself in the mirror, that's when I go into the whole, no one's ever going to love you again. What's wrong? Mm. So you need to figure out when is the inner critic the loudest? When does it jump in? And also what is being said? So I talk about having self-talk, but also self-sentiment because not everyone hears literal words in their mind. Like it doesn't sound, their thoughts don't sound like actual audiobooks. It's It comes almost like a either an emotion, a sentiment, an understanding. So I think there can be a disconnect for some folks when they're like, I don't hear talk. I don't hear speech. So even if there's just an essence of a self-sentiment of you're not enough, you're not worthy, uh, you're damaged, no one's going to love you, what fill in the blank, right? So we have to acknowledge when and what, right? That's the very, very beginning. The other thing that I'll say as far as like starting to shift that I personally don't subscribe to the idea of overt positive affirmations because, and we don't need to get into this extensively, but the way that the subconscious and the conscious mind work, the inner critic will not allow affirmations to come in. That's why they tend to get kicked back and you feel silly and stupid doing it. So what I suggest using is something that I call progressive language, which is basically saying, you know, maybe I don't love my body right now, or maybe I don't feel super lovable right now, but you're saying, um, I'm exploring what confidence in my body looks like, or I'm on my way to healing this pain, or I'm exploring, I'm, um, rediscovering, I'm redefining. It's something where you're saying like, I'm on a little action into it. Yes. That's awesome. 
So, so is, it gives you something to switch it to a little bit. Yeah. So is this the work that you do in your practice with women? I do. So typically my work is kind of twofold. It's this internal component of your worthiness, like genuinely believing in your own intrinsic value, right? And then the external piece of how do I then communicate with the outside world? So I do a lot of stuff around difficult conversations, people pleasing, um, how to say no, boundaries, like a lot of the actual semantics and the anatomy of how do I have a difficult conversation with somebody? Um, how does that differ if it is an amiable re- relationship versus something that's contentious? Mm-hmm. So, uh, or versus something that's abusive, like how do I take care of myself in those situations? So uh, we go through like a whole chronology of that inside a, an, of a nine month container where we work on dismantling, disempowering beliefs, and then kind of walking into who do I want to be in this world? And But we go through a lot of this stuff, emotional intelligence, inner child work, all of these things that contribute to how we actually show up and engage. In the I world. love this. And I'm just going to hereby declare you the person everybody should work with. It sounds so oh. powerful. Divorcing or not, I mean, you know, we can all use some of this work. I think it's incredible. I mean, if we, mm-hmm. you, I, we all need to be our biggest cheerleaders. Yes. But like, if we all had you in our ears, that would be amazing. Amy, how can people get in touch with you if they want to work with you or learn more about you? Sure. So my little hub of the internet is amygreensmith.com. And all of those names are spelled the basic bitch way. <laughs> That's okay. Green, green without an E. Yeah. Very not sexy. I don't have a sexy name like you do. Um, so amygreensmith.com. And then I always say like, like any self-respecting Gen Xer, I hang out the most on Instagram and you can find me under the handle pretty much everywhere. Hey, Amy Greensmith. So I'd love for you to come hang out. I've got tons of freebies on my site too, by the way. I can't wait to link this all. I'm, I'm really excited about this conversation. For those of you listening, I implore you, I command you to go check her out. She's got great energy, obviously. And I know there's so much more underneath the surface here. So go check her out. Be in touch with any questions. Amy, thank you. And for everyone else, we'll see you next time on Moms Moving On. So you want to be a divorce coach, but the term divorce coach is a broad one because there is just so much you can cover in the world of moving on. Maybe you find yourself gravitating towards clients with high-conflict co-parents, or perhaps you have a knack for helping women pull themselves out of bed when they feel overwhelmed with single mom responsibilities. No matter your ideal client, the one thread that will unite them all is that they're moms, and moms need a different level of support when it comes to divorce coaching. With my Moving On Method, you'll not only learn how to best support a client through their divorce, you'll also learn how to help support them as they transition into their new role as co-parents and managing a coaching business. I'm Michelle Dempsey-Moltak, Certified Divorce and Co-Parenting Specialist, and I founded the Moving On Method after years of working with clients from all over the world and seeing them all struggle with the same issues. In this training, you'll learn my five principles for helping a client with their moving on process, along with how to make your practice successful. Visit momsmovingon.com today to apply for my program. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Moms Moving On. 
I hope you found today's episode to be helpful, inspiring, and give you the advice you need to feel empowered and strong as you move on. Don't forget to come say hi on Instagram at the Michelle Dempsey and drop us a line if there's a specific topic or subject you'd like us to discuss. Thanks. Stay strong.